I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey kids, comics! Previously on Hey Kids Comics, we talked about Star Wars, issues 1 to 3 of the Marvel series, and we talked about the film, and a bit about the book, and we played some cool background music. That's all you really need to know. However, if you do wish to know more, you can always go back and listen to part 1 of our Star Wars show, and any of our other shows, by going to http colon backslash backslash aplayland, that's A-P-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D, dot podomatic dot com. Here's part 2. up this is part two of star wars our very special two-part celebration on the 34th anniversary of star wars not a new hope not episode four i'm andrew leyland this is michael leyland yay you did it right this time i'm good i'm very impressed with your professionalism (laughs) there is a first time for everything page 64 of my beaten up black and white little paperback book has a full page advert with the credits on once again of our star warrior friends battling Darth Vader and some stormtroopers which is exactly the same as the cover of issue 2 of the treasury edition I don't remember that happening in the film what fighting Darth Vader and a stormtrooper hmm ok I don't think that happened Darth Vader's got the right colour lightsaber though yeah which is unusual because nobody seems to have the right colour lightsaber in this no pinkier than red uh, the cover for issue 4 is another glorious piece of 70s melodrama. Uh, a big looming Darth Vader head hovers over Luke, Leia and Ben. Um, it looks like Luke's actually fighting Ben on the cover, even though he's shooting at Darth Vader. Here I stand, though I may die, in battle with Darth Vader to the death. So the cover actually makes it look like it's Luke that battles Darth Vader mm. to the death. Whereas it's not really, is it? No. Uh, the little corner thing, the little corner box that Star Wars used to have. Um, Luke Skywalker, though, looks exactly like your brother. Okay. Doesn't it? Look at that hair. Did you not buy him a Luke Skywalker? There's, there's, there's you. 
That's our other child. Not our, because you know what I mean. Hello. Did you not buy him a Luke Skywalker Lego figure just because it looked like him? Yes, I did. Yeah. We bought him that Luke Skywalker figure because with the, the plastic hair, it looked yeah. just like, look, look, like your blonde hair, didn't it? <laughs> I think so. The one with the land speed. The one with the land speed. Yeah. It's very cool. Okay, okay. As we've already said, this one's called In Battle with Darth Vader. Luke, Han, Leia and Chewbacca are trapped in a narrow Death Star corridor as troopers close in. Leia isn't terribly impressed with the rescue and takes over, blasting a hole through the wall. She convinces everyone to follow her and they plummet into a garbage chute. Garbage chute was a really wonderful idea. What a wonderful smell you've discovered. <laughs> Get the scream boy crapping out of my way. Luke is attacked by a strange creature, the Dianoga. Did you know that's what that was called? I thought it was Meg. Family Guy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, Family Guy. <laughs> I like Family Guy, but the Star Wars ones suffered from diminishing returns, didn't they? Mm. The first one was good. The others, not so much. It doesn't actually call it the Dianoga in here. Just we, we don't even get to see it, it's just like... <coughs> no, you don't see it in the comic, do you? You don't see it at all. It just wraps itself round him and that's it. Luke just disappears under the water, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very true. The walls start to close in. Luke tries to contact 3PO and R2, but they've got problems of their own. A battalion of stormtroopers have closed in on the droids' position, but they convince them that they were held captive by the prisoners and tell them they went in the opposite direction. 3PO takes R2 to maintenance, where they log back into the Death Star's internet system and learn that Luke and the others are in danger. R2 saves the day by stopping the trash compactor from killing our heroes and ending the story here. I think what we should have done is go through all six movies and make a record whenever R2-D2 saves the day. I think there'd be a long list. It would. Yeah. Because let's be honest, R2-D2 is the hero of these films. Yep. He saves the day all the time. He deserves a medal. He does. Service. Well, he he fixes the hyperdrive and the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So there's one. It's the plan to rescue Han in Return of the Jedi is entirely dependent on R2-D2. Yeah. 3PO's just kind of there. They yeah. don't even tell him what the plan <laughs> is, do they? Because he's all, oh, Master Luke has sold me. Oh, my. Oh, dear. So they don't even trust 3PO with the plan. Nope. Whereas R2's like, I know what's going on, dude. So the entire plan in Jedi hinges on R2-D2. Doesn't he save the day in Attack of the Clones? Yeah. Doesn't R2-D2 save everybody in that? Yeah, in the first one as well. What does he do in The Phantom Menace? Well, they shoot them all up through the shooty thing, don't they? They shoot them all up through the shooty thing? No, the ship's getting attacked and they've got a big line of the R2 units they send through a chute that fixes the ship. Oh, yeah, and two of them just blow up (laughs) and fall off. (laughs) But R2 is very tenacious and he just hangs out. Yes, yes, he does. Yes, you're right. It's the first time we see him, that isn't it? Yeah. <coughs> and in the third one, he tilts the ship around and stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure there's numerous episodes of Clone Wars yeah. where R2D2 saved the day. Because R2D2 is the best character in Star Wars. <laughs> in my humble opinion. Um, Obi Wan, meanwhile, has taken out the tractor beam and our Star Warriors leave the garbage compactor and head for the Falcon. They're forced to split up when troopers corner them. Han and Chewie blast through the troopers whilst Luke and Leia take a shortcut over a yawning chasm. Tarzan style. Obi-Wan, meanwhile, comes face to face with Darth Vader. Both combatants raise their lightsabers for battle. The Star Warriors meet up at the Millennium Falcon and see the battle between Vader and Obi-Wan across the hangar bay, too far for Luke to do anything about it. Vader cuts Obi-Wan down but seems confused that there is no body. The Star Warriors head out into the Falcon and with Obi-Wan's voice echoing in Luke's head, the Falcon blasts off. Whoa. What did you think about this one, Michael? I'll let you go first on this one. The fight between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan was pretty cool. It's very short in here. Yeah. It's only like a couple of panels, but I suppose it's not particularly long in the film, really, is it? Well, no. It's not the, the biggest lightsaber battle of the movies, is it? It's really? not quite cool seeing the lightsaber fight. It is quite cool seeing the lightsaber fight. What colour are the lightsabers in the colour one? Pink. Both of them? Uh, so both both of them have pink yeah, lightsabers? Yeah. Right, yeah. See, because in the black and white one, obviously, you can't tell that. I'm very surprised that they didn't recolour that. Okay, um, the pin-ups at the back of the black and white one serve as previously of recap pages... In the second yeah, the second one. Treasury edition has three pages of recap, which is essentially just three big posters. Yeah, they're quite good posters. Um, you wouldn't rip them out and pin them on your wall or anything, because a this is cheap newsprint, and b that'd ruin your comic. Pretty much. But yeah, they are quite good. Very good. 
Um, on panel th- page 13, panel 6, it's very wrong, knowing how it all comes out, but since it's just a, we're pretending it's self-contained... Well, that's your page 13, yeah. my page 75. Is that where Luke kisses Princess Leia, hot on the lips? Yeah. You wouldn't do that to your sister, would you? Really not, no. Well, I wouldn't do that to my sister. I don't think you'd do it to your sister. No. Yeah, maybe your brother. <laughs> Ew! Ew! <laughs> I've just sent you into a paroxysms of ah! That's just so wrong. Yeah. I'm only winding you up. Um, Han Solo. Yes. Does not have his or Spider uh, Jerusalem's blaster. In well, this. towards the end, they're using stormtrooper blasters. Right. And they do that in the film as so well. What they call this? Because he uses the belt as well. It's a jolly good question. Yes. There's no sign of Han Solo's blaster. Maybe he just left it. There. I don't know. So how does he get it back in the second? Maybe he buys a new one. Oh, okay. Or maybe he's got a stash of them on the Falcon. <laughs> maybe he's got like just a big weapons cabinet, like the A-Team used to have in the back of the van. Yeah, or Jeff Goldblum's wardrobe. It's yeah, all the same. he's just got a row of black jackets, white shirts and Levi's jeans, <laughs> yeah. and then underneath he's just got a row of blaster pistols. <laughs> yeah. I could sort of totally see Han Solo doing that. And underneath, there's rows of Chewie's bandoliers, <laughs> yeah. and then loads of those bags that Chewie has, where he's like, well, what does Chewie carry in that bag? Snacks. Even Wookiees need to eat. Even Wookiees need to eat, yes. On page... Well, my page 15, panel 3, it's a straight line between Obi-Wan and the Millennium Falcon with nothing in the corridor. That's very true. A couple of panels later, Darth Vader's right in front of him. Yeah, but if you actually look at panel 5, which is a great panel, Darth Vader just silhouetted in front of the Falcon, you can assume that Obi-Wan's crossed all of that and then just as he's got the... Darth Vader's just stepped out from the right-hand side, though. So Vader was just kind of waiting for him. Ah, uh, okay. I can, yeah, you can assume that. Because you've got to assume comic books are told in still images. Yeah. So, like, you can assume he's ran that, because that would be quite boring to put in a comic. Just a couple of panels have been running. <laughs> that would be quite tedious, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then, at the end of the lightsaber battle, Ben sets on fire. He's not really on fire. It looks he like looks he's been hit by lightning. He looks like he's on fire in mine because of the colour. Yeah, the colour in your... See, on mine, it just looks like he's been hit yeah. by lightning. That's just... I think that's just a colouring issue, to be honest with you. And um, on page... Well, my page 20 panel... Panel 1, it's quite confusing as to where everyone is because Han and Chewie are flying the ship, so they must be in the cockpit. Then Luke Leia and 3PO were sitting down, and it looks like they're in the big hall thing. Yeah. But they're both together in one panel. Yeah, the, the chronology, chronology, the uh, geography of the Millennium Falcon is a bit wacky in the comics. Yeah. We mentioned that before, that I can only assume that they had a few stills from the film. On. Yeah, but they didn't actually have a plan of how the Falcon was laid out. And then they've just gone off these stills and perhaps presumed that the cockpit leads straight into the rep room, when in the film it quite clearly doesn't. But we can forgive them little things like that, can't we? We don't mind that at all. Some of the Chewbacca's speech is quite funny. Uh, What's Chewbacca's dialogue this time? Grunk again. Grunk. Grunk makes an appearance. We get crunk. Arrg. Kronk. (laughs) Grrg. What's that one up there? Grog. Grog. Because I presume that in the script, Chewie didn't actually have any dialogue. And he says, Haronk. Does he? Where does he say, Haronk? Haronk, just before Luke and Leia kiss. Oh, brilliant. On my page 12. Excellent. I'm very impressed with that. Um, on page 68 of the black and white paperback, see, it's the problem is both reading different editions, yeah. isn't it? Which is, for those reading along at home, is page 3 of the comic, but page... Uh, seven of the Treasury edition, Han blasts the wall on page 68 and it ricochets around the garbage dispenser, just like in the film. And just like in the film, Leia admonishes him and, and took that thing away, you're going to get us all killed! Uh, however, on page 71 of the nice little black and white book, which would be page nine of the Treasury edition, and God knows what page of the actual comic, um, Leia tells him to blast the doors again, but this time there's no ricochet. Because she's kind of saying it's our only chance. Blast the door again. This doesn't happen in the film because it makes Princess Leia look a bit stupid. Because does yeah. she think it's not going to ricochet? Well, she's obviously right. Yeah. Because it doesn't ricochet this time. <laughs> Unless the door isn't ricocheable, but, but then, the walls are. If you look, there is kind of a line, though, where it looks like it's bouncing off. 
Yeah, but they don't do the whole that thing away stuff again, do they? No. So that's that's I thought that was a bit strange. On page seventy three of my nice little black and white heart paperback that's falling to bits, uh, Han says getting back to the Millennium Falcon is going to be like getting to the five fire rings of Fornax. This line is also in the novelization by Alan Dean Foster, although it's it, he was ghostwriting for George Lucas. Both must have worked from a script that at some point had to have this line in it. It's far too much of a coincidence to believe that both Alan Dean Foster and Roy Thomas came up with this five fire rings of Fornax by themselves. Um, I love this line as a kid, and it's not in the film, but I always remember the five fire rings of Fornax. When I was about 12, I wrote a story in which we saw Han go through the five rings in the Millennium Falcon while he's being pursued by Jabba's men. Um, and I also think Odd Mandel was in it. You know from The Empire Strikes Back, that bounty until we ran into an Odd Mandel? No. Do you not remember that line? When Han says he's leaving at the beginning of Empire, yeah. the boss guy, Bruce Boa, says a death mark's not an easy thing to live with, Solo. And Han Solo says, yeah, well, that bounty hunter we ran into on Ord Mandel changed my mind. Okay. I included Ord Mandel in my story. Or Mantel, whichever you prefer. So, yeah. there you go. You I was like writing. That? I don't know. But I, re- I remember the little book that I wrote it in. It was okay. a little school book that I should have obviously been using for important school stuff. I don't. Uh, no, well, you know, neither did I, anyway. Page 76 of my little falling to bits hard paperback. Don't think they did hardback comics back then. Where Luke and Leia swing across the chasm. The narrator, or the writer, implies that Luke uses the force, albeit subconsciously, to help with the rope swing, which I quite like. Have you ever tried swinging on a rope? Um, but you got to do it a couple of times to get it. Well, well, that as well, but it also takes a great deal of upper body strength, especially yeah. when you've got a princess clinging around your neck. <laughs> So I like the idea that subconsciously uh, Luke was using the force to help him do that. I was quite impressed with that. On page 76 at the bottom, uh, which on yours is page 15, isn't it? Yeah. Or 14. Page 14 in the Treasury Edition, page 76 in the black and white book. Um, The writer's caption explaining what Obi-Wan is up to is word for word from the novel. Page 164 of the novel. Too much so to be a coincidence. There's some extra dialogue on page 78 about Vader only being able to perceive the force in the same way that a utensil perceives the taste of food that is also in the novel. Uh, These extra dialogue bits have never been in any script for Star Wars I've seen, but it can't be coincidence both the novel and the comic adaptation use the same words. So, from the comic, the comic says in the bottom three panels of page 76... Ben Kenobi seems nearly a part of the passageway itself, as a large cluster of troopers hurries past him. Then, pausing to make certain they've all passed, he starts down at himself, failing to see the dark silhouette which eclipses the light far behind him. Now, in the novel, it says, Ben Kenobi ducked into the shadows of a narrow passageway, seeming to become part of the metal itself, as a large cluster of troopers hurry past him. Pausing to make certain they had all passed, he checked the corridor ahead before starting down it, but he failed to see the dark silhouette which eclipsed the light far behind him. Story time. Yeah, we'll see. I'd love to know what the chronology of that was. Was Roy Thomas riffing off the novel? Or did or, he use the graphic novel to... Use? Or did Alan Dean Foster have access to the comic adaptation? Yeah, or maybe they both worked together. Well, both of them had to be written before the film came out, didn't they? So maybe they figured, right, let's get both of our ideas down because we've got nothing to go off so we'll help each other. But possibly. Or maybe... These passages of description were in the script. Right, yeah. And they've both just transcribed the script. Okay. It's possible. Do you want to pause that and I'll link in my script for you to see if it's there? Right. We'll insert the interlude music here. Consulting My Art of Star Wars, edited by Carol Teitelman, which was published by Ballantine Books in 1979, it says in the Indicia, or Indicia, whichever way you pronounce it. This has the script to Star Wars in it, and if we leaf through this, uh, it's a lovely little book, this is one of the first big Star Wars books that I ever saw. No, the script that I've got here 
Ben hides in the shadows of a narrow passageway as several stormtroopers rush past him in the main hallway. He checks to make sure they're gone, then runs down the hallway in the opposite direction. Darth Vader appears at the far end of the hallway and starts after the old Jedi. So my script doesn't have anything resembling what they're saying. Now Michael has got a copy of... Star Wars, the complete, fully illustrated script from 1997. So neither of our scripts have that dialogue in. Mine's the art of Star Wars, and yours is the complete, fully illustrated script. We also have, somewhere, Star Wars, the illustrated screenplays, don't we? Yeah. Yes. Because you can never have too many copies of Star Wars scripts. Uh, Star Wars, the annotated screenplay. So let's have a look what Star Wars, the annotated screenplay, has to say. Whoever says... Don't put much re- uh, research into this is wrong. Yes, we're putting an awful lot of research into this episode. It's a tiny bit, yeah. Yes, and it's well. I'm intrigued to know how the comic and the novel both have almost the exact same wording. Right, this the Star Wars: The Annotated Screenplays by Laurent Buzaru, which I believe is his name which was published by Titan Books, or my copy was published by Titan Books, it was probably published by somebody different in America, in 1998, has exactly the same description as The Art of Star Wars. Whereas your completely fully illustrated script is dumbed down, and yet the novel and the comic have exactly the same wording. This isn't the last time the comics will have word-for-word quotations from the novel, as we will see later. Page 80 of my lovely little piece of paperback book that's... I can't turn the pages because it's falling to bits. Do you know what? I don't care that this is falling to bits. Okay. I must have read this thousands of times when it's I was... It's your childhood in a book. Yes, it's my childhood in a book. This book's older than your mum. I'm sure there's a lot of books older than my mum. In the film, Obi-Wan seemingly sacrifices himself willingly to allow the others to escape. In both the novel and the comic... Obi-Wan is struck down mid-battle with no warning. He still manages to merge with the Force, though, so that's okay, isn't it? Just going back to my page 15, panel Mm. 1, Han Solo's green. Yeah, the colouring's a bit off, though. (laughs) So you can't tell that on mine. He's he's perfectly normal coloured, though. And there's no ridiculousness with the stormtroopers in the comic either, is there? No. Whereas in the special edition he turns the corner and now there's 500,000 stormtroopers waiting for him. Oh, but I like that. Yeah, well, all of them are a crap shot, are they? <laughs> Not one of them can hit a seven-foot Wookiee in well, a narrow corridor. 5,000 of them, right? Yeah. Narrow corridor. The guys at the back are going to shoot no one but the stormtroopers in front of them. It's a good point, but what were they all doing there? Was it coffee break time? And yeah. Hans just walked oh, into maybe. the refe- refectory. Maybe Stormtrooper <laughs> Gary, it's his birthday. Stormtrooper Gary's birthday. <laughs> yeah. So they're all going, they're just going to blow a cake out. Yeah. Or a woman was going to pop out of a cake. And Han Solo just ruins it. Yeah. There's another reason that the rebels are scum, isn't it? Han Solo just ruins Stormtrooper Gary's birthday. Yeah. Ah, oh, poor Stormtrooper Gary. And I bet Han Solo shot him dead. Oh, he blew up anyway. Yeah, or he got killed on the desk. What a birthday! Yeah. Poor Stormtrooper Gary. Han Solo ruins his birthday celebration and he gets blown up! I feel quite sorry for Stormtrooper Gary now, now that you've mentioned him. What what his surname would be. What's a good Star Wars surname for a Stormtrooper named Gary? Gary Lightbody. <laughs> That's the lead singer of Snow Patrol, isn't it? I don't know. It's a good it's a good name for a, yeah. a Star Wars character, though, Gary Lightbody. <laughs> I quite like that. We'll have to get in touch with him and see if he'll let us use his name <laughs> in our Star Wars fan fiction. Yeah. Where we do like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern a dead thing with Stormtrooper Gary. Yeah. And we do what he was up to all the time that Luke's rescuing Princess Leia from the Death Star. Yeah. Stormtrooper Gary's just, like, minding his own business. <laughs> And he's, he's getting invited to his surprise party, and all his mates show up, and then this goon <laughs> in a pair of Levi's and a black jacket just shows up. Shoots him. And shoots him. And he's like, What? <laughs> what did I ever do to you, dude? Yeah. Poor Stormtrooper Gary. And then he gets taken to the infirmary where the, the droid works on him, and he's in the infirmary, and he's just getting a bit better. And his mate comes and sees him and says, We've got your cake for you, Stormtrooper Gary. <laughs> Boom! Death Star blows up. <laughs> Oh, God! Or it'll be just his luck to escape from the Death Star when it blows up, sent to the second Death Star, and then on that one, that explodes. What about Cloud Stroller? Wouldn't that be a good surname? Last episode, you said Luke was going to be called Starkiller. Mm. That's the name of your ship in Force Unleashed. Is it? Yep. No, that's the guy you play as. Just go and mm-hmm. check the box, then. Oh, right. look it up on the internet. 
because there's loads of Star Wars stuff on the internet. Nothing important. Yeah. Just loads of Star Wars stuff. <laughs> the internet was invented for Star Wars fans. Yeah. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> invented for Star Wars fans and porn. <laughs> Star Wars porn. Oh, no, let's not go there. We, do, we don't want to see Star Wars porn. My friends. How, how long do you think before they do Star Wars porn? My friends seen some. Have they really done some? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, stop! <laughs> That's just not right. Polishing his lightsaber. Um, Swing that lightsaber. Well, there. I was just thinking they've done lots of, like, Batman. Slash they did a fiction. Batman porn, didn't they? Yeah. 60s Batman. They've done a JLA one. Oh, they've got to do a Star Wars. They've just done a Star Trek The Next Generation one. <laughs> They're bound to do a Star Wars one. Yeah. They have to, at some point. Doesn't mean we'll watch it. Don't approve of such things. in my gloriously beaten up paperback has a full page still of Luke brandishing a lightsaber which is actually just taken from issue one of the comic with the background removed issue 5's cover is yet another slice of 70s melodrama the Death Star is seen attacking the rebel base with Luke pointing the obvious hurry Chewbacca we're being attacked by the Death Star and Han gives up it's too late kid we're finished Uh, I don't know how the Death Star manages to get this close to the rebel base that it's visible from the ground uh, for real yeah. science stuff, wouldn't that cause all manner of atmospheric disturbances well, given you can its size? See the sun and the moon, can you? Yes, but that's like right close yeah, to them. Yeah. That's like I could throw a stone and it would bounce <laughs> off the Death Star. Yeah. If the sun was that close to me, I would be burnt to a crisp. Well, that's because the uh, Death Star's not hot, is it? No, the Death Star's not hot. I'm sure it must, given the size of it, yeah. it must cause some hassle. But it doesn't matter, it's a symbolic cover, so we'll cut it some slack. Uh, it's by all the same people, so there's no point reading the credits out again. Uh, it's called Low the Moons of Yavin, which is a great title. Low. Low. <laughs> That's a very mighty Thor, that, isn't it? Low. Low the Moons of Yavin! Or either that, or it's Weebler Bob. Low Bob, low. <laughs> I was thinking it's more Sideshow Mel. Okay. Low the Moons of Yavin! Serious Thespian. Yes, serious actor. Uh, Han asks Luke to come with him as we ain't out of this yet, kid. 
They man two laser cannons mounted on either side of the Falcon as TIE fighters swoop in on them. Luke and Han make short work of the TIE fighters, making Leia suspicious. She's right to be so, as back on the Death Star, Vader and Tarkin reveal that they have planted a homing beacon on the Falcon and let them escape. On said Millennium Falcon, Leia reveals that R2 is holding the technical readouts to their battle station, and she hopes that a weakness will present itself when the data is analysed. Han doesn't care and says he just wants to be paid. He sounds like me, doesn't he? Yep. I wouldn't sign up for your rebellion, and I'm not in this for you. I'm in this for the money. I might sign up for the rebellion. No, I'd totally be in it for the money. I think I'd buy that. I'd be Han Solo. Oh, okay. Or Mal Reynolds, who, yeah. who basically is Han Solo if he didn't turn into a big soft pussy. See? Did it? See, yeah, watch Return of the Jedi. Han Solo does not have a serious line in that entire film. Not one serious line. Comedy joke okay. in that film. Greatly disappointing to all those Han Solo fans. And he has a long sleeve jacket. So what about? Yeah. It's much better with the Martin McFly waistcoat on. The green one. But then isn't he General Solo in Return of the Jedi? Yeah. So he's got a battlefield commission. Oh, yeah. Which begs the question, where was Han a captain? Where was he a captain? Mm. Was he in the military? There's a well, three-book trilogy of novels by Anne Crispin all about Han's early life, which I've not read, right. but I'm sure I've got. Could he not just be called a captain because he's the captain of a ship? For the military... I mean, I say military, the rebellion isn't really military. No. But they all have military ranks... Yeah. So presumably they do have military people within the rebellion. So they Probably. do follow some kind of structure. So I, I would assume he has earned the rank of captain somewhere. You can't just call yourself a captain well, unless you, you're Captain Jack Sparrow. You call yourself a driver. You drive a car. He has a ship. Yeah, He's a captain. I don't call myself a driver <laughs> as in I'm going to rob a bank <laughs> and I'm waiting outside for people to come in and I'm going to burn rubber and get us all away from the bank. It's a fun and easy way to win money. A driver's not a title, despite what bus drivers may think. <laughs> Being a captain is, I presume at some point, he's been awarded the title, the rank of captain. Okay. Especially if he's rewarded with being called a general in Return of the Jedi. Right. I presume. Because well, Luke's a commander, isn't he? Yeah. Luke doesn't get promoted to captain, though. No, he doesn't. What well, does becoming a Jedi mean that he's not bothered about rank anymore? Such things are beneath him. Well, if you treated a Jedi like crap, they could just turn around and but isn't, your head off. In the Clone Wars TV show, isn't Anakin a general? Yeah, After the isn't he General Skywalker? Yeah. After the Jendi Jendi Tartoski, I think. After his, because he gets promoted and that. So he's a general, isn't he? But so yeah, Jedi. So what's Obi Wan? He's general. Is Obi Wan a general as well? All Jedi's a general. In Clone so the Wars. general, so the Jedi must follow some kind of military substructure then. Yeah. So what's Yoda an admiral? Probably. Admiral, Vice Admiral Yoda. <laughs> Quite like that. <laughs> Vice Admiral Yoda. Mm, promotion I have received, yes. <laughs> More money I will get. Mm. I'm raised. <laughs> I quite like the idea of Yoda asking for a raise. I quite like the idea of Yoda going, going, well, who would Yoda go to for a raise? Isn't he the upper echelon? Well, There's I'm, no one above Yoda, is I there? I suppose the Emperor of whatever he is in the prequel. Does he have to put his thing into the council? <laughs> yeah. His request for a raise has to go to the council of the Jedi. Yeah. And they're all sat there at Mace Windu's going, well, why do you need money, Yoda? Let's be honest. You just sit on your stool all Yeah, time. I mean, let's say you live in a mud, mud hut. <laughs> Well, what you've done, Mace? Hmm, Mace Windu needs money. Hmm, I've seen what's engraved on your lightsaber. It is, yes. I don't know what that impression was. I don't think it was Yoda. Anyway, before we go down any more ridiculous tangents, uh, the Falcon arrives at Yavin 4, and the Star Warriors are quickly taken to a briefing where the Rebels analyse the Death Star plans. They discover that a direct hit on the thermal exhaust port should set up a chain reaction that will in turn destroy the station. Han wants no part of this, because Han's the only one with any brains, takes his reward and starts loading up the Falcon. Luke gives him a piece of his mind and heads over to the ship that he's been given, an X-Wing fighter. The X-Wing fighters are cool. They are cool. They are Vipers as well. <coughs> well, the Vipers just kind of ripped Star Wars off, yeah, didn't like, it? Like I said last Eventually, time. all the people who didn't work at ILM went to work for Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And they just took some of the same designs. Because Ralph McQuarrie did designs as well, didn't he? Yeah. Like he did for Star Wars, yeah. yeah. Yes, he did. Although some of the designs in Galactica are pretty cool. The Galactica's pretty cool. And the Vipers are pretty good. And base stars are cool. Base stars. Do you prefer new base stars or old base stars? Um, old base stars. Do you? Yeah. 
On the way, he bumps into Big's Darklighter from issue one, and they trade stories before manning their ships. And after kissing Leia. Oh yeah, he gives Leia another kiss, which is just... <laughs> they blast off, the Death Star closing in on them. What do you have to say about issue number five? Yeah, it's a pretty good issue. It's it is. It's setting the stage for the last one. It is, really, isn't it? It's the prelude to the final battle, before they actually do anything interesting. Um, my page 22, panel 5. Mm-hmm. The pilot in the TIE uh, fighter looks an awful lot like the controller thing out of the film. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Grant Morrison reference alert! <laughs> I've not read the filth. Well, it looks like the controller. That's so I would have no. What we do notice, though, on the splash page, Han Solo suddenly has his own blaster pistol back. Yes, he does. So where was that when he was flying from the Death Star? Because where's the Stormtrooper pistol <laughs> gone now? Also, uh, the end of the last issue, they're all wearing the Stormtrooper belts on the splash page. They've got the normal ones back. That's true. Continuity error. Do they still have them in the film? I think so. I don't remember. Um, so this star was 408 times and I don't remember that. Yeah. I just made that number up. I don't think I've said it 408 times. It sounds quite accurate. Maybe 407. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's no great kid, great, don't get too cocky. Great kid, don't get cocky. No, there's not. No. There's a lot more thought balloons, though. Han shows a sensitive side. Yeah. The old man Kenobi died freeing us from that Death Star beam. This is one erstwhile space smuggler that's going to see he didn't die in vain. Do you really see Han Solo thinking that? Well, they do talk about the feelings later on. Han Solo does not talk about his feelings. One sec. He's winding Luke up later on, where he says... He's talking about the feelings. Talking about his feelings at all. Han's winding Luke up. They're not having a touchy-touchy-feel-feel moment, like at the beginning of the first episode of The Walking (laughs) Dead. God, that was dreadful, wasn't it? They could have cut all of that and it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, the TIE fighter battle is really well paced and you can hear John Williams' score in your head. They do manage to pad that out for a couple of pages as well, don't they? Yeah. How many TIE fighters come after them? This is... I can't turn a page in this without my book falling to bits in my hand. I don't know. Do you want me to make a tally the next um, time I see the score? Well, isn't, isn't there only... F- is there four in the film? Probably. I think four TIE fighters come after in the film. I could be wrong. Maybe they're just remarkably crap shots and they just keep flying around. Well, they only the sent five... TIE fighters after him, so I'm inclined to agree with Princess Leia that this was far too easy. Why did they not send an entire battalion after them? Because they wanted them to escape. So they can follow them. But Han's far too cocky to acknowledge that that may actually be the case, isn't it? Um, Page 95, or my page 95, as the Millennium Falcon swoops into Yavin, uh, Roy Thomas's narration follows the novel almost word for word again. So once again, I would be very interested to know which came first, the novel, the comic, or where they got this from. There's the dude there in the big... big yeah, the, the dude in the, the watchtower yeah. is all along it, in many ways. But, um, oh, yeah. page 100 of my what's it. When Luke's running across the hangar bear, he meets um, a pilot who knew his dad. Some of the scene was restored for the special edition in 1997, but there's a really obvious edit. Have you ever spotted it? The dialogue where he says he knew his father is still on the cutting room floor, and what they've done, they've just got a guy walk past the screen, and when he crosses in front of Luke, there's an edit where they've cut out a line. This line here about, I met your father once when he was a boy. Well, when I was a boy. When he was a boy. Don't call me a boy. I'm not a boy. (laughs) He was a great pilot. So the implication there being that his dad's not that old, really. But that's not in the film still. Yes, well, he's not really, is he? No. As we will find out later. Look at that X-Wing though on your page of the Yeah. Does the X-Wing not look a bit too small for you? It does look a bit snub-nosed. Yeah. The, the, the thing doesn't look long enough, does it? I mean, with yours, you do have a bit of an advantage that it's creeping off the page. Yeah. But on mine, because they've extended the art, it does look a bit squat. Maybe he's just got a baby X-Wing. Maybe he's not graduated to a full oh, X-Wing. And also, look in the background there. <coughs> it's the Viper Mark 7. Can't really see that on mine, because it's small and black and white. On mine, you can. Yes. It looks like the new Vipers. Has somebody not done a Star Wars Battlestar mashup? I think probably, On yeah. YouTube. Probably. Original Galactica versus Star Wars. <laughs> You've done Airwolf and the Enterprise and all that. The best one of them was Airwolf versus Kit. Was it? Yeah, it was brilliant. Who won? 
I don't think anyone won. I think it was to be continued, and I never actually saw part two. But it was really well edited. Oh. The only thing wrong with it was Erwolf was fine because they always used the same flight suits. Yeah. But Michael Knight's jumping and changing colour. So that was that was quite amusing. Um, okay, chapter six begins with another full page splash. This time featuring the cover for the back of the Treasury Edition number two. Uh, the cover has another overly large Darth Vader. Are we spotting a trend here? With Luke and Leia swinging into frame whilst X-Wing and TIE fighters fight for supremacy. The cover, another magnificent exercise in 70s hyperbole, has Luke going toe-to-toe with Darth Vader in a lightsaber battle that I'm pretty convinced didn't happen in the film. And also, hmm. TIE fighters are different. X-Wings are different. Yes, they are. And also, Darth Vader is wearing a big red poncho. <laughs> I think that's just artistic license. I don't really see Darth Vader wearing red, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll offer a night on the town. <laughs> what do you think of my pink cape? <laughs> I am sexually attractive. <laughs> I have a lot to follow. You can just see a bunch of stormtroopers stood there terrified going, We think it's great, Darth. Yes, it's very nice. We'll be sure to tell the Grand Moff Tarkin that you're not here. Thank you, man. <laughs> you did not comment, Stormtrooper Gary. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's very, very nice, Mr. Vader, sir. That is too slow. You think it looks wrong, don't you? No, no, no. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Stormtrooper Gary. <laughs> I think we should write a story about Stormtrooper Gary. We could post it on our website. We could. A little comic book about Stormtrooper Gary. <laughs> oh, quality. Hey, we see a Y-Wing on this. There's a couple of Y-Wings, isn't there? But this is a very cool splash page. The splash page is very, very good. And is the Death Star upside down? Um, because the well, laser sh- uh, things at the bottom. If you think that there's no upside down in space, then then it doesn't really matter. No, it's maybe the, the, the X-Wings are approaching it from a different angle. Or I don't know. When you always read comics, uh, whether in space, they're always the right way up. Yes, and like with Star Trek and stuff. Yeah. They always do seem to be on the same, as if they're at sea. Yeah. Aren't they? There's only really Galactica. That a was, new one. That was like the Galactica would be pointing downwards yeah the Cylons would come from another direction yeah. Galactica did that properly and didn't Babylon 5 used to do that as well probably things would come from different angles rather yeah. than everything being flat like they were um, battleships at sea uh, the final chapter with a question mark is the title of the issue it's by the same people who did the previous five issues with the exception of two new inkers Rick Hoberg and Bill Ray which would explain where the art looks a lot cleaner mm. in this one. Do you not think? The inking's at, a lot tighter. At times it looks slightly Bolland-esque as well. It does, yes! Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does look a lot like Brian Bolland. Yes, I hadn't spotted that. More and more, though, it's looking less and less like Howard Chaykin. Especially for the first issue. Yeah, if you compare issue one to issue six, you wouldn't really tell that the same guy... No. I mean, the fact that this has got three illustrators... Maybe Howard Chaykin didn't do a lot of issue six. Probably. Because the art really doesn't bear any resemblance to what was gone in issue one, does it? No. I mean, unless he just did pencil breakdowns. The rebels are attacking the Death Star as the story opens. The narration informs us that they have only 30 minutes before the Death Star is close enough to do to Yavin 4 what it did to Alderaan three issues ago. After a roll call in which, for some reason, Luke is in Blue Squadron, and not Red Squadron, like he is in the film. He's simply Red and the Kool-Aid guy. The fighters attack. They are so small, they are evading the Death Star defences, so Darth Vader orders them to the fighters to destroy them ship to ship. A further hit on the Death Star shields prompts Vader to prep his own vessel. Outside, the rebels aren't doing too well, as ship after ship is destroyed by overwhelming Imperial forces. Eventually, there is only Luke, Biggs, and a young pilot named Wedge Antilles, presumably related to Captain Antilles from issue one, uh, although the comic makes it seem like Princess Leia is related to Captain Antilles, which I'm sure is just an error. Biggs is destroyed, and Wedge seriously damaged, leaving Luke to target the exhaust port on his own. Darth Vader and two other TIE fighters are up his arse all the way, and it looks like certain doom for our favourite farm boy that isn't named Clark Kent. When, from out the sunset, Han Solo and Chewbacca come roaring to the rescue on their trusty steed, the Millennium Falcon. 
Solo blasts one TIE fighter to bits. The ricochet causes the other to careen into Vader's TIE fighter, which in turn knocks him off course. Luke, free and clear to navigate, opens fire. The proton torpedoes hit their target, and the Death Star explodes. Later, the Rebels hold a big ceremony, and Luke and Han get medals. The end. Oh. My page 54, panel 6. It's an exceptionally good drawing of Mark Hamill, that, isn't it? Page, the last page before they all get the medals. The last panel. There's a shot of Luke Skywalker that looks like it's been traced from a photograph. It's that good a picture of Mark Hamill. And in black and white, it does look like a photograph. That is really good. But on the next page as well, when they're all getting the medals, the second to last panel, Harrison Ford. Yeah. That's a really good picture of Harrison Ford. So I don't know. I mean, Chewbacca as well. When uh, you're all clear, kids, let's blow this thing and go home. Panel on page my 116. Chewbacca, for the first time really in the entire six issues, looks like Chewbacca. Oh. Yeah, it doesn't look like a monkey. Huh. Doesn't look like Cornelius from Planet of the Apes or Dr. Zeus. Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus. So, yes, the art in issue six is really, really, really good in the sense that it actually looks like the people in the film. It's not that they didn't earlier on, it's just they look more like them in this. Again, yeah. top of page 107. That shot of Luke Skywalker there looks just like Mark Hamill. Um, you could probably argue that the comic book didn't really get this close to the actors' licenses again until they did the adaptation for The Empire Strikes Back in 1980. It's a great issue all round, issue six. I think it's brilliant. The art's tighter than the other five to the new Incas, uh, and having an entire issue devoted to the attack on the Death Star is all kinds of awesome! The only major difference here between the film and the adaptation is in the film, Luke turns off his automatic tracking to use the Force. Here, his automatic tracking is damaged, and he's forced to use the Force. See what I did there? Very funny. Uh, not really. Uh, and Obi-Wan guides him, but it's a subtle difference, but a difference nevertheless. Luke's reaction to Biggs's death in the adaptation is a little heartless on page 114. Wedge tells him that um, Biggs has just been killed. Biggs, his, his old friend from school, who um, he adores and looks up to and admires. Um, and Luke tells Wedge to shut up and keep flying. Apparently his oldest BFF's death, meaning bugger all to him. Uh, there's quite a contrast to the film where he mouths a silent prayer and in the novel where he remembers that there are a couple of shooting stars that will never be stopped, echoing a line of dialogue earlier in the film. Here, writer Roy Thomas has Luke remember that Biggs will always be the best friend I've got, rather cynically, like Luke couldn't give a toss. Uh, It's an unusual choice that makes Luke seem a little less likeable right at the end of the story. Although I think Luke's been more aggressive Mm. and forceful throughout the comic. What do you think? He's a lot less whiny. He's a lot less whiny. He's a lot more decisive. Um, he's a lot more alpha male as well. He doesn't really back down yeah. to Han as much as he does in the film. I don't know, maybe Roy Thomas felt Luke needed to be a tougher protagonist and he decided to bolster up his character a bit. It doesn't contradict the film. It just makes Luke seem more of a natural leader than he comes across in the film, especially for the ending, yeah. where he does end up being the de facto leader of what's left of Red Squadron or Blue Squadron, whichever version you read it. The narration when the Death Star explodes is again lifted straight from the novel. Uh, The comic milks the destruction of the Death Star for a page and a half uh, and does a really good job of it. The art is brilliant here. An X-Wing actually looks like the X-Wings. Chewie, as we mentioned for the first time, actually looks like Chewbacca. The Millennium Falcon has some detailing on the underside of it. Darth Vader, particularly on page 115, panel 2, where he's just about to shoot at Wedge. That one there is a brilliant panel. I think that's much better in black and white than in your Treasury edition. Page 60... Page uh, page 50, sorry, of the Treasury edition, panel yeah. 2. The colouring makes that look a bit murky. Yeah. Whereas the black and white one is really cool. Just one example where the black and white is better than the colour. I've noticed there's quite a big difference of opinion on that between American and British readers. 
Well, I think it's because American readers have grown up reading colour comics uh-huh. and haven't really known much difference. Whereas over here, all of our comics were black and white when we when I was a kid. But They're not now. Some artists look better in black and white. Like, I think most artists look better in black and white. Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub would be a wouldn't be as good in black and white, uh, same with Alex Ross, but people like Doug Brethway and John Romita Jr. look pretty damn good yeah, in black and white. Yeah, I think sometimes, especially on old comics where the colouring is quite gurish. Um, but yeah, all our comics were black and white though. Star Wars Weekly was black and white, Spider-Man Comics Weekly was black and white, Mighty World of Marvel, 2000 AD. All the British comics were black and white, apart from a colour cover, which was pretty much it. Colour comics are relatively new for us. I think we've only had them for the last ten years. I think so, yeah. There's some interesting differences, once again, between the novel, the comic, and the film. In the film, only Luke and Han get a medal. Why doesn't R2 and Wedge get a medal? Um, because the droid exists. Yeah, well, what about Wedge? Um, Wedge survived the Battle of Yavin. Yeah. Wedge survived to the very end. If he hadn't got a malfunction, he'd have been right in there with Luke. Do you get a medal for just participating, or do you get a medal for certain achievements? Well, I think you should have got a medal of honour for being yeah. there. I mean, if the end of Return of the Return of the Jedi, if the end of Star Wars is to be believed, what is it? The Millennium Falcon, two X wings and a Y wing, yeah. are all that make it back. But would Han and Chewie should Han and Chewie really get a medal since all they did was shot two Tie Fighters? <laughs> Short for the end. Of, yeah, but arguably they saved Luke. Yeah. And without that, Luke wouldn't have destroyed the Death Star. So I'm down with Han getting the medal. Mm. Luke should definitely get one. Yeah. But I think R2 should get one simply because without him, none of this would have happened. <laughs> without R2D2 tenaciously pursuing Obi Wan, mm. and Wedge should have should have got one because he partook in the Battle of Yavin and he survived. Okay. And I mean, you don't know posthumously. All of Blue Squadron weren't awarded some kind of award. Mm. But I think Wedge Antilly should definitely have got a medal. Um, the adaptation says Chewie will get an ad- uh, a medal later. Because Princess Leia is too small to put it around his neck. In the novel, Chewie gets a, a medal along with Han and Luke. Which I'm down with. I don't see why Chewie shouldn't get a medal. Okay. That's just my personal opinion. Shows that stormtroopers have feelings. Why would it be so? It's a. There goes the alarm. The rebels are coming out to meet us in force. The fools! Don't they realise this battle station is now the ultimate power in the universe? <laughs> so not only the stormtroopers have feelings, they're melodramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Why aren't they simply defending themselves on Yavin's fourth moon as we expected? They're mad. That's what they are. <laughs> no matter. We'll blast them right out of the sky. There's overconfidence for you. <laughs> I think General Taggett is probably sat there going, Rebels are going to win. <laughs> Rebels are going to win. Do they not understand? The underdog. Yeah. I w- I'd be very surprised if General Tag didn't, or Taggy didn't actually leave the Death Star. He sat on a beach on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, watching it blow up. He sat on Yavin just going, Ha ha, told ya. Unfortunately, he, he didn't make it off Yavin. He, he died of 
gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's go out to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Poor bloke. Uh, I reckon that this is the best comic adaptation of a movie ever. The art in Empire Strikes Back is better. But... I don't... There's just something about this. It could be the age that I was when I read it. Because back in the Dark Ages, this was the only way you could watch the film again without going to the cinema. So we didn't have a video. We didn't have DVD. Um, we only had three television channels at the time. BBC One, BBC Two and ITV, which is... You can't wrap your head around that, can you? <laughs> we wanted to watch something. We had to be in the house when it was on. Mm. Now you can go, oh, I missed something last night. I'll just download it and watch it whenever I want. Well... If it was a choice between uh, going to the moon or having going to the moon and having three channels or having as many channels as I do now and not going to the moon, I'm going to the moon. Yeah, I'd rather go to the moon. We were much cooler when we only had three channels. Uh, when Star Wars came on telly in 1982, I taped it on our spanking new video recorder. Ooh. At that point, I had two videotapes. Two. Two. Two videotapes. On the first one, I had Book Rogers in the 25th century. <laughs> and on the second one, I taped Star Wars. Okay. And I kept that taped version of Star Wars for years. Even when it came on again and again and again. Because yeah. the first time it was on, it was completely unedited. Right. And they even showed all of the end credits. Which, t- they don't do that anymore, do no. they? So I kept that for... Oh, I must have had that on video for nearly ten years. Could you only put that on... One video. It was a three-hour videotape, so I probably had an episode of Star Trek or something after it. Oh, okay. In fact, I think I did. I think I had the what's it one. If memory serves, I had the um, Doomsday Machine. Oh, okay. After Star Wars, I think. So I had two videotapes, and that's what I had on both: Book Rogers <laughs> and Star Wars, and I watched them till my eyes bled. And I wouldn't put it past you. Quality. No, that's very true. I mean, Nan probably can quote Star Wars word for word. Um, It was really the beginning and the end of comic book adaptations, though, the video. Uh, They plodded along for a while. I think Marvel did a different one every month in the 80s. They certainly did comic adaptations of a lot of science fiction stuff. They did one for Glass Starfighter and one for Gremlins. All Star Wars films had one. Uh, DC did a couple of Star Trek ones. I think I have them. Yes, I used to have the Gremlins one. The Blade Runner comic adaptation was good. Right. Because the art was by Al Williamson. So the art was brilliant, but it was completely different from the film. Right. You know, there's five different cuts of Blade Runner. Yeah. It's like the comic adaptation went off an earlier one. So you sat reading it going, this is completely different. And Raiders of the Lost Ark, the artwork's cack. Yeah. Even though it's John Buscema, who's normally brilliant, the artwork just doesn't suit. Because Klaus Janssen inks it. Yeah, I have Raiders and yes. Temple of Doom. You have my Raiders yeah, from when I was little. My sister's taken them off me now. Yeah, because she went through an Indiana Jones phase, didn't yeah. she? And um, they also, in the interview at the back of the Daredevil omnibus, Klaus Janssen's talking about the differences between inking Raiders and Daredevil. Because yeah, right. I didn't like the art in Raiders, but mm-hmm. the ending of Raiders is different in the comic. Is it? Yeah, you know when he gets onto the uh, submarine Yeah. in the film, it just cuts to the next morning, doesn't it? There's a whole sequence that's missing from the film. Oh, okay. That's why comic adaptations were cool. Because right. they had all the stuff that they cut out of the film because they went off the script. Well, don't your Star Trek novels have bits in that one to the film? Well, the Star Trek novels kind of just make stuff up oh, okay. to kind of gloss over. They don't really have stuff. None of the stuff in, say, Star Trek 3. Star Trek 3, the novel, showing my geek cred here, <laughs> uh, has a hundred pages before it even gets to the film. Yeah. But none of that was in the film. Right. That's the author explaining where Savick's gone to and where Dr. Marcus has gone to and all that stuff. So it wasn't actually cut from the movie, it was made up. Um, the Treasury Edition ends with a plug for the continuing Marvel comic series and a picture of George Lucas and Alec Guinness, whilst the black and white paperback has the same pin-ups that are at the front of Treasury Edition number two okay. to give you a recap of what happened. Can I just ask a question? Yes. Did, was there a phase when everybody had hurt like that? Because Bruce Springsteen went through it, and this picture has... What, big, hurt. bushy, curly hair? Yeah. Yes, it was called the 70s. Starsky. Yeah, okay, fair enough. In Starsky and Hutch. Right. Big, bushy, curly hair. Okay. I'm trying to think of somebody else. <laughs> David Hasselhoff? David Hasselhoff. Well, that was the 80s, really. But he still had big, bushy, curly hair. Yeah. Yes. The guy who says to Superman, Hey, Jim, that's a nice outfit! He has big, bushy, curly hair. Uh, okay. Um, I'm sure there are others. Otis in Star Wars. Star Wars Superman. Uh, Big bushy curly hair. And all directors have to have beards. Uh, 
do they? Yes. Is that why Edgar Wright's grown one? Yes. Right, okay. It's a fact of life. All directors have to have beards. Fair enough. Mm. What did you think of the adaptation of Star Wars overall? Um, it was alright, I suppose. <clears throat> As somebody who's never had to read comic adaptations when he wants to watch a film again, rather than oh. just goes down and gets the DVD and watches it again. Well, it's fun, because I like Mark Bagley's art in the Hulk adaptation, even though the adaptation in the movie's quite crap. That's the first one, though, isn't it? Yeah. The, f- the movie's quite crap. <laughs> yeah, but I like Mark Bagley. Alan Davis is out in the Spider... They didn't do a comic adaptation of Spider-Man 3, did they? No, they did the first one, and Staz Johnson did some of the second one, I think. And they did Because they didn't do one for Dark Knight, either, did they? Um, no, but they did do one with the first one. Yeah, they did one for Batman to, Begins. I used to have uh, Batman Begins and a Superman Returns adaptation, and both of them also had backup stories. Oh, right. Why have you not got them anymore? No, I don't know, I lost them. Could you lose things? Oh, right, so it's all your brother's fault. Probably. It's always your brother's fault, isn't yeah. it? See, I've still got boots here from when I was little, but I didn't have a brother. No. That seems to be the moral of this story. Probably. Don't have a brother. I don't let him touch my absolutes. That was our two-part Star Wars special. Hmm. We hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Like I said at the beginning, I've really put off doing this one for a while, because there's tons of Star Wars podcasts, and there's tons of Star Wars podcasts that talk about the Marvel comic series. But you know what? Yeah. Michael convinced me that we should do it, because all those other shows didn't have us doing it. At some point, we do plan on covering the comic book adaptation of Empire, because it's awesome! Let's do that next year. Next year? I'm not waiting until next year. No, okay. We'll probably do that in May. Yeah. And we do plan to do Return of the Jedi because it's slightly less awesome. Let's do that the year after that. (laughs) But if you want to investigate every issue of the Star Wars Marvel comic series, they are available as trade paperbacks. There is a long time ago, which is colour trade paperbacks, of which there are seven from Dark Horse. They're available. Um, They're not readily available at the minute. I cannot Why? find Volume 1 anywhere. Were they published the Dark Half when they were originally Marvel? Because Marvel don't own the rights to Star Wars. Marvel just bought the rights from Lucasfilm. So Dark Horse do? Dark Horse now own the rights to publish Star Wars comics, which right. means they can publish all of Marvel's stuff. But if you go through then, there is no mef- reference to Marvel. And no, okay. um, where it says Stan Lee Presents, they've changed it to Lucasfilm Presents. Yeah. And it's very simple. Dark Horse should just rename themselves the Star Wars Buffy comics. They should, because they do very well with the Star Wars Buffy comics. Um, they're also publishing a series of omnibus trade paperbacks, which are slightly smaller, called A Long Time Ago. Volume 1 of which is in Waterstones in Wigan, if you live in Wigan. It's highly unlikely that you do, but in case you do. And that's got the first 21 issues. I may actually have to bite the bullet and buy that, because I can't find a long time ago Volume 1 anywhere for a decent price. And given that I didn't pay full price for any of the others, I'm not paying full price for Volume 1. Did you the same amount? No. Right. Because the selling point of the new trade paperbacks is they're going to include stuff that isn't in these. Not least of which is the adaptation of Return of the Jedi, which isn't in them. That is only the Marvel comic series issue 1 to 107. So do the comics and the adaptations have some amount of chronology in them? Yes. After the adaptation for Empire, Hmm. the comics now take place after the Empire Strikes Back. And then after Return of the Jedi, the comics take place after Return of the Jedi. So they did carry on with the story. So would Dark Empire still carry into that? Yes, Dark Empire takes place after the Marvel comic series. And the novels even take place? With yes, in right. the Star Wars novels that are currently being published, Luke Skywalker is... Didn't he marry Mara Jade? And had a child, I believe. I know Han and Leia got married and had three kids. And they are now grown up. The Star Wars novels that are currently being published take place 30 years after Star Wars. So there's the novels have actually taken place in real time. And some of them even go back. And some of them go back to before yes. The Phantom Menace, yeah. There are video games from the very beginning of Jedi. Uh, I think they're included in the chronology. If you have a look in my copy of Death Troopers, yeah. that has a, a Star Wars chronology in it. But if you're interested in all this, the internet was invented for Star Wars and porn, as we've said before. Uh, I had fun with that. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. What did you think? I wanted to read them again. Would you know? If it wasn't for this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't think I've read these in 20 years. I've not read this in a very long time, because one night you came into my bedroom and said, read these. We're doing Star Wars! And I've kept them ever since. Did I, yeah, I gave you my treasure editions, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, and I kept me a little black and white paperback, even though it's falling to bits. I love it. Right. We'll see you next time. Goodbye! Bye. 
A-Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. All music used in the show is copyright by their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this. They do it simply for fun. And because they have too much spare time. Ah. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and nobody else. We can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com and our website is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com You can friend us on Facebook by going to Hey Kids, all one name, comics, all one name. 